0: Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, why am I yelling at you? No, let's start that over. No, it's good. (laughs) All right, take two. Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning section we're going to be talking about messed up stuff horror culture, horror movies, horror literature in this case, uh, but anything that could involve um, dark and macabre subjects such as murder rape, suicide, child abuse, bad language, strong sexual content and smoking I've seen on rating systems now. That's a thing that they warn me about
1: <laughs> Okay
0: Yeah, society we're doing it. Listen to us smoking over the internet Yeah, anyway. so, well I see it on TV shows, but anyway enough <laughs> tangents <laughs> Sorry, Can't. I'm
2: Actually, not even
1: a smoker. I just had to do it.
2: <laughs> Sounded like something was being torn.
0: <laughs> we did have that one podcast where there was a very obvious bubbling sound at one yes, point. Yes, there was. <laughs> like, like super intentional, obvious. Like, yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> and then, oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So now we're past the trigger warning. We're going to talk about yeah. fucked up shit and smoke weed out of bongs. Maybe. Yeah. If I can find Yeah, it that
1: right. was the Joe Davis episode. Joe, Joe Davison episode or Davison. I always mess this up. Davison. I think Davison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's in the excerpts. If if you listened <laughs> to any of our excerpts, that is definitely. <laughs> yeah.
0: is. Had to put that. Uh, one
1: there. Yeah.
0: So. Anywho. Uh, let's see. Coming up for our release dates uh, around February for Women in Horror Month, we're going to be interviewing a uh, Rebecca Reinhardt, actress known for The Embalmers, Fright Vision, and Sister Krampus. Uh, also, Kathy Koja, Koha, Damn it, Koja <laughs> is Kathy Koja, author of such works as <laughs> The Cipher, Strange Angels, and Buddha Boy. But today,
1: also, we have, and also City couple. Cats. Sorry.
0: You didn't even put You're that in the script. talking
1: about women of. Uh, well, but we're gonna, gonna be releasing gonna about,
0: episode?
1: Yes, I didn't know you were gonna talk about the uh, Women of Horror Month. Actually, so this is kind of funny. Um, last year we wanted to do uh, participate in Women of Horror Month, and I kid you not, like we talked to probably four or five different ladies, and every single avenue that we tried, every one of them had to either reschedule or couldn't do it, or you know, something would come up. Or, yeah. It just wasn't meant to be. So this month I have gone with overkill and we <laughs> have now, we've got four ladies scheduled. So we might have like a February and, a Mar- uh, yeah. February and March for women of horror month.
2: I mean, really women of horror can be every month. <laughs>
1: right? be. Every month and you know? and really like that every was my Saturday goal season. is I want to, I'd like to have guests throughout the year. Um, but I specifically definitely wanted to make up for last year. So, yeah, yeah overkill
0: <laughs> yeah. which we did but today we have the company of author laura lee barr known for such works as haunt long-term religious porn yes that is a thing i asked angel meat and writer director of boned 2015
2: oh, Hi, Laura. Long- hello it's long form religious porn not long term <laughs>
0: Did I say long term? Jesus Christ!
2: <laughs> long form, well, but I mean, yes, it is. You know, it is long term. Long yeah. form is a is a improv term. It's a type oh. of improv, mm. um, but it's it's long form. But it also is kind of long term. So I
0: thought it was just the form that you had to go down to the uh, Customs and Border Protection place to get because it's longer than the short form.
2: It's it's right? that too.
0: Okay.
2: Yes, and it's
0: also the correct title of the book. I am sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the and show. The triple kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the
1: extended intro there. That, that our intros normally don't take that
0: long.
2: <laughs>
0: A special one.
1: Oh man, I don't know uh, how much we'd gotten to chat about this uh, before, um, or if you've listened to any of our calls. But basically, the uh, the gist of it is that we are going to. Um, Talk to you about what excites you about horror as a fan more than um, as, you you know, involved in your body of work, although I'm sure that might come up as well. And we come at it from uh, sort of three directions, childhood, teenage years and adulthood, because sometimes, you know, coming at it from these different directions can trigger memories that you might have forgotten. But that said it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's anything you don't want to talk about, you can just say pass and we move we'll move on.
2: But can it be a therapy session? <laughs> it, absolutely it absolutely can. can probably really it, use it, actually.
0: <laughs> it absolutely can, and I think many of them have been. More been often than not, hard. it ends up being one.
2: I've been trying really hard to get a therapist for the last like year and a half, <laughs> but like they are <laughs> they are tapped out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, sure. We're like, we have a waiting list a year and a half long. That's Sheesh. I can't imagine. Well, more. I'm
1: I'm not a I'm not a licensed therapist, but I've had a lot of counseling myself, and like uh, I think I'm up to something like 19 years in a 12 step program now, so I've I've got some some background. We can talk. Great, um, wonderful. <laughs> starting with your uh, childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things?
2: So the scary, well, th- there are two things that really scared me when I was a child. The thing that scared me a lot was other people's dads. I was always scared of other people's fathers. (laughs) I wasn't scared of my dad. He was awesome, is awesome. But there was something about grown men that just terrified me. So, um, Hmm. I constantly was, there was something about the, what I perceived of as their anger and their, um, they were physically scary to me. So Mm -hmm. I was always scared of, um, Serial killers. Uh I lived in Utah. Um and Ted Bundy had already been caught at that point, but I can remember at one point he had escaped and mm. I, I was very young and just kept feeling like, oh my gosh, this person could um come out and kill me. <laughs> I don't know. So Sorry. I was scared of serial killers. Um That's a and, legitimate fear. And uh I had a really um I had an experience when I was like seven years old of I was, um, sitting by a pool and, uh, I had this thought, I was laying down on the concrete and I was, um, getting warm and I had this thought about, you know, who am I, who am I, who am I? And, mm. um, the first thought that came into my head was like, oh, I'm, I'm Laura Barn. I, and then the, then the, this other thing was like, no, you're not. And, and then I was like, well, well and I, this is my family. I have this family and I believe in this church and I, and, and all of a sudden, everything that I thought of, uh, I realized that was not me, that none of those things that I could think were me and everything that I'd seen or experienced or thought was myself was not who I was at all. And this like feeling of like rushing through space started to Mm -hmm. happen in my head. And, uh, I, I, I had to just like open my eyes and stop thinking because it was so scary to me. Um,
0: At, at what age was this?
2: I, I always think of myself as seven, but I was probably maybe even six or five. Uh, okay.
0: So at a very young age, you basically had an existential crisis.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know
0: I'm me, but what like. is the me that's here that's actually me represent? And what is my, <laughs> what's the difference in between my concept of me and everyone else's concept of me? And you know what? I'm going to play hopscotch. <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I I'm wondering
0: if you like, I'm
1: wondering if you overheard something that maybe one of your parents is watching or listening to or something like that. And
0: because like, that's not
1: really normally something a kid would normally think about.
0: It's a very Uh, complex uh, construct for a child.
2: Yeah, it wasn't like um, the thing that was so terrifying about it was that I, I, I I didn't know how to think like that. I I mean, it just started, it like happened to me. It felt Mm -hmm. like it was happening to me. Like Mm I, it was almost like I, I turned down, I I got off of a path and I just looked and I saw something I shouldn't.
0: Mm. And
2: then I could never unsee it.
0: I would say that all the more so maybe supports the theory of overhearing it somehow. Cause that way, like your subconscious mind grabbed onto it and remembered it and it popped in later. And and it's, it's like a thought that's happening to you rather than coming from your
2: mind. Yeah. And I, I can remember trying to tell one of my friends about it and, uh, telling them how scary it was. And, and they were, they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I, I don't get, what do you mean? You're not you. Of course what? you're you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. As a kid, um, I did not spend a lot of time around adults. Um, mm-hmm. I spent most of my time, you know, I had a lot of siblings and I spent you know, most of my time with my siblings and, um, or tried to be by myself. It's probably more likely that I read something than that I heard something. I bet. Uh, also, where yeah. I lived, things were pretty. Existential questions were not addressed. Um, mm. In I'm, you know, it, it could have been
1: it, something as simple as just flipping channels through it. You know, the
2: idea of self inquiry in my it, where I live, like the idea of like you know, who are you was so much more communally defined that like the, the individual was never, um, for living in a very individualistic culture, my, my childhood was very much a, about community, um, and communal sort of understanding of identity. So I think
1: that's a lot more common than, I don't know about you, but maybe a lot of people think even as an adult, Uh, You know, part of the 12 step group that I was part of very often people would come into those and, and realize that they had no sense of self other Mm -hmm. than, as you say, who they're related to, what their job is, how much money they have, what car they have, you know, there, I, there was no self-identification except for things outside of themselves.
2: Yeah. Right. Cause there's this, uh, we, we don't have, I don't think we have a very strong sense of the void in Western civilization.
1: Potentially, but what do you mean by the void?
2: The kind of um Eastern idea of like let's say let's say zero or nothingness or you know, the the primordial blackness from which all life emerges, you know, that mm-hmm. idea of of cultivating nothing, of cultivating silence, of cultivating, you know, the absence rather than the presence.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're more about building and building over here in the West. It's always just progress and building. If the Western
1: culture is primarily Christian culture and in Christian culture, you don't, nobody really thinks about uh, there being anything before God. So, you know, Mm. so there was always something mindset. Yeah, exactly. Going back. I want to go back to the uh, other people's dads thing. That's kind of interesting too. Was it, uh, how can I say this? I've heard, stories about, for example, babies or even pets, you know, having issues, for example, with men with, uh, facial hair, um, or wearing hats. Was there any common denominator or was it all men?
2: It was mostly like, I was scared of, I mean, I wasn't around like just general men. I was just around like, so the only time I would encounter, grown men was, like, other people's dads, you know, people mm-hmm. I was friends with, or, like, my parents' friends, or, like, my uncles, or whatever, it was this kind of understanding that that men, I think, felt like they had, like, and, and when you bring up the animal sense, like, this kind of, like, uh, rage inside of them, like, they had this, like, ability to just, like, they, they always seemed to me, like, holding in rage yeah
0: like um was it potential energy versus kinetic energy yeah yeah like ignoring that possibility of
2: right right like there was always like a a kind of like very much like an animal sense of like these these creatures are (laughs) 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 these ones you don't like you know like people my own age were dangerous for their own reason or teenagers were dangerous for that reason but like um like
0: These are the full-grown animals.
2: Grown it. Grown grown men are like you know. You you want to avoid them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you get stepped on as a baby? (laughs) Well,
2: yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I had a lot of siblings, like I said. So we had a you know fairly uh, raucous and uh, uh, vibrant um, hierarchy of
1: Hmm.
2: of. uh,
1: Just out of curiosity, how many siblings?
2: So I have, uh, seven biological siblings and then I have five, um, step siblings, but I I never lived with those, those siblings.
0: Thanksgiving has to be fun.
2: (laughs) We don't really like, it's very rare. I mean, we have like a reunion every couple of years.
0: Um, you have to rent the hall. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
2: Totally. Totally.
0: This year's uh, Thanksgiving will be at the Marriott. Uh, which, yes. which room? <laughs> the whole thing.
2: Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, you get a nice discount on the rooms. Mm-hmm.
2: Sometimes, yeah. You have to really work on that, though. You have to, like, organize. You have to have an yes. organizer.
1: Of the, of the seven, where were you in the order?
2: I am, uh, so there's eight total. I have seven siblings. I oh, am sorry. Six. You're right. I'm sixth in the lineup. And there's five years between me and my next oldest sibling. So I had a, a very um, active older sibling group yes. that were sort of like, the these are the older siblings. And then me and my mm-hmm. younger brother and my younger sister were all about a year from each okay. other apart.
0: Mm, kind of like when a TV show does like a revamp next generation thing, and then you have your original older <laughs> crew and then the next gen, yeah. like the yeah. younger yeah. crew, yeah. like, uh, yeah. like tiny Toons, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh okay. So, um other people's dads, serial cult killers, um existentialism. Um any horror media in terms of cartoons, books, movies?
2: So I I definitely so um I was raised in a very religious culture that uh really prohibited media that was deemed inappropriate. Mm. So I I probably didn't um you know, the first kind of adult movie that I saw, and I don't mean adult as important, I mean it like, you know, for right. adults. It was like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, mm. that, and,
0: uh, that was pretty scary. That guy's face melted.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, that movie was, that movie just, it was my favorite. It was my favorite <laughs> movie. <laughs> I, after I saw that movie, I was like, I want to be that movie. That's what I want to be. I want to be that movie. And uh, <laughs> I'll I, I that. loved it. I I don't know exactly. I mean, maybe, maybe like, what year did it come out? Uh,
0: Late 70s. 80 something.
2: I I was, I was older than six and younger than
1: 10. Okay. So still childhood.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And.
1: I should clarify when I said horror media, I don't, I didn't necessarily mean like, you know, horror movies and stuff like that. I, I was. Thinking in terms of, you know, what scared, potentially scared you as a child, because, you know, we've had, for example, one of our guests mentioned that um, uh, f- what was it Fievel's Tales, you know, Lost in America. There was a scene in there that's, you know, like.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it was Rescue Rangers, maybe one of those classic animations yeah. scared them just because the villain was so over animated.
2: Right. uh, like- uh, uh, uh. Yeah, I can remember seeing, um, I saw commercials for The Shining and I remember mm-hmm. like and the, the the kid running in the snow, that terrified me, that just that commercial terrified nice. me. And I can remember um, being really like, really afraid of being like kidnapped or murdered or somebody I love being kidnapped or murdered or something happening to one of my pets was really terrifying Mm. to me. Like somebody doing something cruel to an animal that I loved. I was terrified of all of those things happening or something bad happening to, you know, one of my parents, something happening to like a sibling, you know, as a kid was less terrifying to me, but something (laughs) happening to my parents, (laughs) like, you know,
0: you got uh, a lot of them to spare. You know, you only have two parents.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Huh?
1: I just said numerically speaking, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You went there with the pets
1: thing. I was thinking uh that makes sense for the 80s because what what was that movie? Um Fatal Attraction.
2: Exactly. That that was the sort of um and and you know to I I very early had a had a real connection with animals and loved animals so much and um you know i always wanted like more cats or dogs or you know birds or hamsters or like i always wanted animals and my mother who was raised on a farm and you know had a children was always like we no more right. animals no animals <laughs> no animals you know so it was this constant fear i had of like oh you know um y- something happening or, you know, I also had older siblings who, you know, behaved like older siblings. Like what if something happens to my, uh, you know, somebody would threaten your animal. That was a way of like getting you to do something
1: as a good, as a good older sibling does. Yeah.
2: The thing about siblings are there, it it really trained me a lot in terms of socialization (laughs) in terms of understanding that like, like hierarchies and understanding like the way that a lot of systems work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because as a, as a sibling, you really, especially when there's a lot of you, there's not, the you form alliances. Politics is there's, the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of politics, right? And when you're younger, you're not privy
1: to, all to a
2: lot of the yeah. um, more subtle interactions that happen. Yeah. And so you're constantly trying to catch up. You're constantly trying to learn. You're constantly trying to like make them appreciate you and value you and um, protect you.
1: Uh, You didn't mention which religion. So I don't know, I don't know which way you're going to answer with this, but uh, did you participate in Halloween? Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. Uh, Favorite costume.
2: I, well, as a child, I was always like a princess. I always wanted to be a pretty thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, do you mean favorite costume like now as an adult or just as a kid?
1: We'll get as to that kid. when we get to the adult. <laughs> yeah. uh, right,
2: right. Okay. Um. So yeah. So as a kid, I always liked. I always wanted to wear like a fluffy dress or like a. a um, you know, I always wanted to be something pretty. Okay. So I never wanted to be anything scary. I think I was actually really terrified. I was really terrified of being unattractive. Mm. I was really terrified of being an outcast, which in many ways I was, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) but it scared me, you know, like if there was some reason to, uh, to put me down in the pecking order that, that was always like uh, something that really, really scared me. Mm. My body sort of like turning against me, you know, those, those were things that like frightened me very much. Okay. If there was something wrong with me that would make people, um, shun me or not want to be around me.
1: Looking back through some of the stuff that we've talked about so far, I would say the theme that I'm seeing, at least for this portion of your life is, um, power. either obtaining it or fear of it, which makes sense. That's often the case for a lot of kids. You know, when you think about early childhood development, the thing that kids don't have much of is you know, agency and power. So that's that's yeah. not strange. Did you have anybody in your family who was a fan of horror at that age?
2: I, I did not have anyone who was obsessed with horror in the genre category. Okay. However, I would say my entire family is very morbid. <laughs> <laughs> they're, a, they're a morbid bunch. Um yeah. and uh, and tend to think about death a lot. And my older sister was very fascinated by you know horrible things. Yeah. But there was a there really was a, a difficulty in um obtaining media <laughs> that um
1: well like you say there's a difference between horror as a genre and what you're talking about where which I would describe as staring into the void.
2: Yes. There was a lot of staring into the void around me, and, uh, and an understanding of that, mm. and there, and that was not like a cultural. That was not true of you know other people in my neighborhood or other people in my um, you know friends or fa- friends, but my my family, um, I think, had a fairly
1: interesting, I would
2: say, healthy sense of you know mortality and of um, the evil that is out there. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you have any scary or reoccurring dreams
2: as a kid? I had a dream. I I used to have this reoccurring dream that all the houses were falling down.
0: Hmm. Like as you were walking down the street, were they falling down around you or-
2: No, that it was like this, like, it was more like it was like an earthquake, like I, like I was hearing about it on TV, like like these houses, just like dominoes were falling down one right after another. You know, we were trying to make sure that like, where are people, you know, who's, where and I was, you know, where are my parents, where, where are our siblings. So, um, I had reoccurring dreams about, about that. Uh, I, I don't know at what age I started to have reoccurring dreams, like kind of about like, like malevolent forces like just like the sense of like dread of like something was possessed or something was evil there was a great evil in that house or there was a great evil that happened in this place or you know so i, I would have reoccurring dreams about like some place or some some place or house that had some sort of demonic force well, and or or and then there were also like kind of dreams about people who who you thought were good but then were bad they suddenly turned evil on you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I had like re- my lots of, I, I would say that those are kind of societal like fears of people or, you know, places being possessed with like some evil.
1: Of the three that you mentioned, the house is falling down and where are my parents and where are my siblings? That one kind of makes sense. Cause that's like a common childhood fear of, you know, being lost or, you know, losing your connection to the things that keep you safe. Yeah. Good people turning on you, you know, betrayal, obviously in a family where the political things are as they are. That one also makes sense. Um, the evil in a place or a house, that one, I, I feel like it's a little vague. Like I, I'm missing something in. in
2: Oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think that. So Um, my parents went through a divorce. Mm-hmm. So there was fighting between my parents and there was like this kind of sense of like. Something's happening to break us apart, mm. something's happening, so I think that that was probably like my parents splitting up that really fueled that fear,
1: hmm. yeah, I could see how that could make sense in terms of you know there being evil in the house of there's a lot of upheaval mm-hmm. that would go go along with all that
0: hmm. yeah no that's that's a good point though like um. Yeah, you see it in a, a couple of horror movies, too, like that one with the mirror where there's uh, the parents fighting or there's um, Amityville. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's always a, a tone and there's always a tension between parents. So maybe that naturally just gives the the dark tone of some tension in this house. And as a child, you just envision it as, a, you know, something otherworldly, like there like there's an evil ghost in the house when really it's just you can cut the. Angry tension between two parents that are getting divorced with a fucking butter knife. Right.
1: Yeah. And whether you believe in it or not, you know, there are a lot of people that will say that, you know, angry spirits and poltergeists and things like that are often influenced by the living people in the house, which that's all another topic. Um, yeah. That's a whole other
0: podcast. <laughs> well,
2: but I, I was raised believing, like, that there are not that, like, my parents talked about it. Like, they, my parents are both, you know, college professors like they're intellectuals so they they didn't spend a lot of time being like oh demons oh (laughs) you know stuff like that but the religious culture that we were part of you know very much believes in demons very much believes in like you know evil spirits and things like that um
1: Mm -hmm. uh potentially segueing into my next question was there anything in real life that actually terrified you at that age
2: my cousin, who was my age, um, who lived in a different state, was hit by a car and killed. And uh, she, was, uh, she was hit by a 16-year-old driver. And she was hit, like, um, crossing the street, getting, you know, from the bus, getting out of school. Um, at the, she was eight. So I was eight when that, that happened. And that...
0: That's pretty jarring. Loss of a family member or a loved one at that young an age. Like, just, just dealing with that whole process is... Um,
2: yeah, and it really, like for me personally there was you know there's a level of unreality that you deal with as a mm-hmm. as a child because
0: because yeah. at first it's like no they're not gone this is it's going to be back to normal tomorrow just like a tv show you know everything's gonna be yeah. back to normal or and then the days go on and or yeah yeah this will never happen to me and then it does and there's the day or so of denial at first and then afterwards you, you just kind of things are different you know
2: Yeah, it really like that. I think that really shook my mom's sense of faith entirely. Mm. And my mother started to go down this path of feminism. (laughs) 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 Some dangerous ideas for women. (laughs) Mm, Feminism. (laughs) (laughs) So she started to think things about, you know, questioning authority and questioning, you know, the roles of women, etc. Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, Who told you you could question things?
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So and and I watched, you know, my mom sort of getting out outcast, you know, not only being a dangerous, her, her ideas became very dangerous in her way of speaking about her um, feelings about the religion that we were all in and her ways it became very um, dangerous and there was meaning that like people, it became a sort of situation where it was like, which, what What do I do? Mm-hmm. Do I identify with her or do I not identify with her? Right. Do I worry about her going to hell or do I agree with her? So there was a lot of scary questions happening terrifying ideas. And, and at the same time I was grappling at a very young age as a child with my own sense of like, do I believe in this church?
1: Mm. Oh, did we lose you? Oh, okay. Yeah. I we lost you.
2: <laughs> no, no. Nope, nope. I was like, what is there? Yeah. Is,
1: there <laughs> is
2: there a follow-up question?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, did anything, uh, well, I guess it kind of does lead into a follow-up question. I was going to ask typically the, the follow-up question to, if something traumatic happened in your childhood is did that affect your life moving forward and potentially it could have, I mean, you started to talk about, you know, do I identify with my mother? Um, You know, worry about her going to hell or in your, your own faith. So how did, how did that kind of play out?
2: Oh, it definitely like, so I guess, um, so what ended up happening is my parents ended up getting divorced. My mom ended up, I, I, Um, what, so, and this will lead, I guess, into my teenage years, because my parents got divorced when I was like in seventh grade, end of sixth grade, beginning of seventh grade, or or they separated then. And that ended up leading to the divorce. And I transitioned from, I didn't want to be the person that I had been before. And I wanted to be somebody else. Um, and how could I do that? (laughs) Um, so I started to get kind of like, much more like, all right, how do I, how do I be cooler? How do I, how do I, how do I get more friends? How do I be more popular? How do I, you know, that kind of transition. And then we ended up moving, you know, at the end of eighth grade to a place in Nowheresville, New Mexico, that really uh, changed, um, changed everything for me because, uh, you know, whereas I had lived in a sort of, middle-class semi-suburban area. I moved to a very, very rural poor town in the middle of nowhere and had to sort of re re reinvent what I felt like I was.
1: Um, Did you go with your mother or your father?
2: Yes. Yeah. So my mother and uh, three of my siblings moved to uh, New Mexico and uh and that's where I, I started my
1: um, okay. my high school. Uh, do, do, do.
2: No. And that is about the time that I started to get into like, I, I would say between like sixth and uh, and eighth grade, I started to, so I was a, a voracious reader. Like I read and read it. Like I loved to read. I still like every time I go into a library, I'm like, my friends, <laughs> I love you so much. You.
0: 17 wow, hours that. later.
2: <laughs> right no I love them so much um, uh, I, I said to my dad when I was a kid I was like what if I read all the books and he was like there's no
0: way <laughs> right like what if I read all the books what do you mean all the books I, I mean all the books all of them.
2: And he, but he he basically was like that's not possible you can't possibly do that and that was a great comfort to me it's, it's,
0: <laughs> it's comforting to know there will always be more books
2: there will always be more books that makes me so happy so, uh, so um, probably around 5th grade fourth or fifth grade, I kind of graduated out of, like, all of the books for children, and I started reading smutty, like, adult pulp books, you know, and uh, bad romance novels, and and then you know, I started reading Stephen King and then I started reading BC Andrews and I started reading like,
0: Oh God, you didn't get in Daniel Steele at a young age. Did you? <laughs> I did not. Have, well, I might have, I
2: like, I, I probably not as good as Daniel Steele. Honestly, like, oh, wow. they were always, they were always Just things get like, Daniel Steele. <laughs> there were always things like, you know, weird things in weird places with men with like, and I didn't quite even understand it. Like, you know, you know, men with like bulges and, you know, something bulging in his, pass wallets,
0: <laughs> right like a, as a young reader you're like
2: you know guys are
0: really bulgy do, do they all have tumors or something i keep reading about all these bulges <laughs> you know, like
2: i start to read all these sex scenes. And of course, like, I mean, th- I, I never saw anything like the most I saw on TV would be like people kissing. Right. So the whole idea of like, we're, like reading now about like, you know, the this, this sexual act, I was like, weird, wild, ooh, sexy. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, but you know, there were still books. So most people didn't, you know, think to, to look at what I was reading. So I could mm-hmm. just started, I started just devouring stuff. And then DC Andrews is like, I mean, all sorts of crazy shit happens there. So, um.
0: yeah, I'd I'd say it's probably as good enough a transition as any to the one one
1: question I want to ask though, then is uh, because you had mentioned being a voracious reader and and what you said to your dad about, you know, being afraid of running out of books. Did that happen in your teenage years or did that happen even earlier?
2: Oh, that running out of books, running out of books happened when I was like, I was probably like five or six or seven or eight. I don't know. Like I was young okay. when I was like, hmm. I, I just, I would just pour through books. Like I just. Can relate. Uh,
1: no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I read a lot as a kid. It, it's funny. The other thing I thought of when you were talking about this is um, when we interviewed uh, Nicholas Berman, Vince or Vince, Bur- I think it's Berman Vince. Berman Vince. The chatterer uh, from Hellraiser. He had a very similar situation, except it was the reverse. He, um, he had a very almost traumatic uh, event in his childhood when he was very saddened to realize that he would never be able to read all the books oh. <laughs> that's right oh. <laughs> so, so it's funny that you were comforted to realize no there will never yeah. I will never run out of books there will always be more <laughs> yeah
2: yeah that, that, that to me would be like a type of hell to like have them yeah. all be done like, no. <laughs> there's no
0: more you can reread the other one it's not the same right <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: so
1: you started going into the pulp and romance Stephen King. So uh, it's a little bit of a jump to go from pulp and romance to Stephen King and DC Andrews. I mean, how did that happen?
2: I think so. My dad liked my dad likes old detective stories and like some things that are kind of like noir. And uh, I I think he he was reading Stephen King. Um, and I, so I, I, picked up one of Stephen King's books. I think it was Firestarter. Actually. I think that was my first. And, um, so I just started reading. So I just started reading Stephen King cause it was there. <laughs> um, so I read like Firestarter and the dead zone and, and your dad was um, okay with that. Those I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't even mean from like the Mormon aspect of it. I just mean for like, you know, knowing what's in some of King's books to have a kid read some of that stuff. Yeah. They're
2: well, I think that like, yeah. I yeah, mean, Firestarter I I mean,
1: isn't as bad as some of them, but.
2: Yeah. And and by that point, like I was probably, and now we're starting to get to the point in, in the, and, and my my parental involvement in my, you know, he would see what I was reading, but like when they started to get separated and divorced then too like that was you know they had bigger I right. things that of they course. were dealing with than, yeah. than what i'm doing. <laughs> like that yeah. was the least of their worries they had other big big problems
1: as long as it wasn't porn or feminist book they were okay with it
2: yeah <laughs> one of the biggest i mean and i had stopped like when mm-hmm. you know sixth grade, seventh grade is when I stopped going to church too. So they were trying to get me to go back to church, not my mom, but my, my dad was. And, um, so yeah, was they were that more concerned you were in with
1: North, things uh, like that. North Carolina, New Mexico.
2: No, no, no. I, I stopped going to church in Utah. And that was a really like, um, big deal because people who'd never said anything to me or cared all of a sudden started being really nice to me and trying to get me to go back to church Mm -hmm, (laughs) like it was like mm -hmm. a big deal like they were like oh we have to get her to go back to church i remember like hiding when one of the women from my ward came over and like tried to like have a talk with me about coming back and i was like oh no and i went and hid until she left and anyway
1: yeah yeah there's some uh power control issues there So, uh, let's see, you started picking up, uh, your dad, Stephen King's books and somewhere in there, you moved to, uh, New Mexico. Yeah. And I'm guessing it was DC Andrews after you moved to New New Mexico.
2: Uh, I would say DC Andrews was a same time. I probably started that while I was still in Utah and, uh, you know, yeah, I think I read like flowers in the attic while I was like in seventh or eighth grade but then i just started you know pouring through through all of those into okay. my freshman year pet cemetery and it and the stand and mm. the stuff that that stephen king wrote as the other guy <laughs> that he put out remember how he had this yeah. other what's what what was his, his i other can't release?
1: i know what you're talking
0: about I'm richard
2: it was it richard ramirez no no he had a he had a bunch of books that came out uh uh, under a different name but i can't remember what that was right now Um, i remember there was somebody
1: that did like a. there was some reviewer too they were just this just said this guy writes a lot like (laughs) yeah yeah
2: yeah so i i i ended up reading like so so then i just started reading a lot of of that kind of stuff um lots of Stephen King and, oh, and when I was younger, like, uh, you know, when I was still like in sixth, sixth, seventh grade, I, I started reading Daphne du Mare too, like stuff like Rebecca and, um, the birds you know, stuff like, like that. So I was, I was going into like these kind of mystery and, uh, thriller type stories.
0: A little bit PG 13, Agatha Christie. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: So, I mean, obviously with
1: Stephen King, there's definitely still some of that staring into the void stuff, but uh, was there some other aspect to it that you were getting out of it now too, or was it still that?
2: I mean, I thought, I just thought his writing was really fun. Like I didn't find it necessarily scary Hmm. as much as I did. Like the beginning of it was terrifying. Terrifying, but then by the time I got to the end, it wasn't scary to me at all. <laughs> but the beginning of it was really, really scary. Um, things like uh, uh, the ending of Pet Cemetery like made me weep. Um, it was so but not the very ending, but when, when his son dies, is hit by the car that just you know, for, for obvious <laughs> reasons. Uh, and and he has this dream about his son growing up. I can remember just like crying and crying as I was reading that. So yeah, there's still the existential stuff that you get out of out of Stephen King stuff. But also I found it really like fun and compelling and interesting. And I liked his his way of writing and telling a story.
1: What was fun about it?
2: Um, I love the idea of like the way his monsters are always like... And this is I think what I love about horror in general. I tell people a lot of times that like I don't love all horror as a genre. Like there's lots of it I don't like. But the horror that I love is my favorite stuff. And the reason why I love it is because to me it's it's almost like a fairy tale. There's this kind of epic way that it, it it's an archetype that it stands for something and that makes it easier to to deal with the reality of the thing when you can kind of externalize it as a monster or Mm -hmm. as this uh, epic sort of conflict that gives you a sense of control and efficacy that you can examine something that you don't have when something's just reality.
0: Mm -hmm. Like say something more like a Guillermo del Toro uh, fantasy rather than a Saw torture porn. 100% (laughs)
2: yes yes
1: you so you you started a sentence that you didn't finish I wanted to go back to that you said uh Stephen King's monsters are always
2: they're they're always wonderful metaphors I think for human desire or human uh villainy or human they're 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 great monsters he has Mm. great monsters and um so I always found I, I find him a really fun writer. I love reading him.
1: Mm. Okay, uh, what did I want to ask you? Oh, uh, you commented about how horror makes it easier to deal with the fear, gives you some control, lets you examine mm-hmm. it, externalize it. Did you already have that understanding at that age, or is that something that came later?
2: I mean, I don't know. It's it's kind of it's it's easy for me to say, yeah, I got it. Then um, I think I had, if, if I didn't fully understand it, I definitely had some uh, capacity to make that argument because that that was an argument which I would make to people about you know you know, and I was already writing things that were darker at that point, and I would start you know really? saying that like this is a. You know, to me, they were kind of funny and interesting and uh, you know, I would play with like the humorous aspect of it or the kind of social fear aspect of it. And so for me, they were standing in for for reality. Uh, they were not representational of my reality.
1: Understood. Um, but you're talking about reading this stuff from the ages of like six to ten, and you're saying you're already writing darker stuff, at six to ten.
2: Uh, I would say, sorry,
1: sorry, not six to 10 years, uh, six to 10th grades.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I started writing. So probably around like ninth or 10th grade, I started writing darker things up and then in 11th, like, so yeah, I would say ninth and 10th grade, I started writing like darker things. Um, not, not wholly, I kind of gave up. I, when I was really young, I really wanted to be a writer and I would write all the time when I hit, um, high school, I kind of was like, no, nobody's nobody's really a writer <laughs> nobody really actually is a writer anymore that's all of the time no, passed no, they're writers they're just not
0: um, you know they're not rich is right, all right. Right.
2: Well, yeah. so, I know but this was you know my ninth to 10th grade brain I was like mm. this is you know so I kind of gave it up as a um, it was something I just kind of I, I did it off and on I didn't think of it as something I was going to do with my life or okay. wanted to be anymore it was just something i was doing to to do
1: okay uh, so we've talked about um king and dc andrews any other strong influences in your teenage years
2: I, I read a lot of ann tyler i had a friend who was really into ann tyler so i read it. these are not horror <laughs> these are, you know other other stuff i started reading jd salinger like obsessively i obsessively read salinger and then later probably like my junior year of high school, my best friend introduced me to Kurt Vonnegut and I became absolutely obsessed with Kurt Vonnegut. Like, and and I still, I still pretty much am obsessed with Kurt Vonnegut. So I, and then I spent the next like three years reading everything of his that I could.
1: And you mentioned that, for example, Ann Tyler wasn't horror, but how do you think this tied in with where you were going?
2: Ann Tyler writes these really... Lovely character pieces they the characters and the families and the relationships are so beautiful and and real, so the work of say Anne Tyler gave me a real sense of preciousness of relationships, I would say, how beautiful and strange and complex a relationship can be, and worthy of note,
1: mhm, okay.
2: I, I also started reading things like, uh, I, that's when I also started reading Edith Wharton and I started, uh, Dostoevsky stuff and, and getting into like this, I, I read, uh, The Idiot when I was 16 and, um, I really loved it. <laughs> it. That really compelled a sort of idea and understanding in me, which it wasn't until I think I reread it that it, it hit as deeply as it, it does for me now. Um,
1: you mentioned compelled an understanding what understanding
2: there's the the purity of love a pure heart in this world cannot survive
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right i was going to make a crass sarcastic comment was, oh you 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 pronounced the iliad wrong but now i am genuinely in, interested in this work cuz uh yeah yeah I, I like that
2: i mean he just it, it's a you know he's he's a pure heart, and
0: uh, and there's no happy ending.
2: Well, I mean, no, <laughs> certainly not. But but the thing that's so the tragedy of it is that everybody is acting according to their own. Nobody wants to hurt him. In fact, quite the opposite. But the the re, just the harsh reality of what people's emotions are and and ability to love each other. You know, oh, the, this the, is Dostoevsky.
0: Okay, it's Russian. That explains everything.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, let's see. What about
1: uh, Salinger?
2: So uh, the the book of his that that um, that meant the most to me was Franny and Zooey. That you know, and that's a brother and sister story. And the sister she starts doing this Jesus prayer and uh, becomes kind of obsessed with. The mediocrity of humans and like basically everybody's um, attempts at self-aggrandizement, and uh, she she's trying to find her own path to uh, mysticism, I suppose, and makes herself really sick. And uh, her older brother, who's an actor, basically having this conversation with her. It's it's you know two long monologues in a lot of ways, but it really spoke to me about. Acceptance, how to accept oneself, even as one is trying to, uh, feels like you want to be better than everyone else, <laughs> and in it, even in, like as a spirit, like you don't want to be a human, and and I've struggled a lot with that my whole life. I I really, in many ways, find the participation in being human itself a Demoralizing, disgusting, like experience. <laughs> like I really, I really uh, hate being a human. That has been a, a common um, theme in my consciousness. That I, I don't like being complicit in what humans do and what humans Can are. Relate. Yeah. So it's it's difficult because one when one realizes that you don't want to behave or think or participate in something that you find morally reprehensible, you can take some steps to to change that. But at the same time, there's a danger because you can't in many ways actually um, avoid a lot of the things that are just part of what being human is. And yeah. if you think that you're better than other people, well, you're not. <laughs> and, you Whatever
1: know, you be, do is going to hurt somebody.
2: Well, And and you can't like, you can't avoid certain things like eating or, uh, yeah. you like know, you have
0: to go to the store. So you have to interact with someone. Therefore you have to be social and you have to like do this thing called conversate when it's like, uh, can I just <laughs> grunt and you give me the thing and I give you the coin.
1: <laughs> well, well, it's like, it's like that trolley meme of, you know, do you flip the switch and go left and hurt these people? Or do you flip it that way and go right and uh, hurt those people? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, life is like that. There's, there is no easy answer. All you can do is intend the best.
2: Right. And do you do the best you can to sort of, you know, be,
1: minimize the pain. yeah,
2: Yeah. Like right now, like right now, what I'm going through, I'm going through a lot of like, uh, eco grief and trying to be, uh, you know, how do I behave in a manner that is in line with my values you know, and that it's it's impossible in my it's impossible to live in this world and participate in it and not be uh, complicit in things that I you know don't agree with.
1: I'll bring up one of my favorite authors, <laughs> as as I said, it's come up many times. Uh, are you familiar with, familiar with Joseph Campbell?
0: Of course. Never heard of him. You know, if you go back <laughs>
1: historically to the earliest dawn of civilization, that. You know, religion was in large part a a way to essentially, um, you know, I, we like to say that our brains are uh, pattern finding machines. I like to also say that we are also emotion processing machines. And I think religion was in large part a way to process the difficult emotions of exactly what you were just talking mm-hmm. about a few minutes ago. That um
2: Absolutely and, and Absolutely And even
1: Absolutely. more so back in in history, you didn't have a choice. You had to kill that animal and eat it because otherwise you'd yeah. starve. <laughs> um, right.
2: Right. Right. And, and and catch it and hunt it. And the the kind of um uh work that went into that. Yeah. yeah.
1: But you were saying in reading Franny and Zooey, Zooey, Zoe? I yeah.
2: always said it's Zooey. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It's got two O's. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: That's the way I wrote it. So that's what I was right, like saying. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing you were saying that, you know, in reading that, that helped you come to terms with some of that stuff. So here we're talking more about the relationships but you did also say at the same time you were starting to write this darker stuff. I'm guessing then maybe that some of this stuff that you were writing also related to relationships or no.
2: Yes. Yeah. I can remember I was, I wrote like a, I I had never seen The Razor's Edge, but, like, I was writing a story that was very similar to that kind of idea, except for it was a bunch of friends who end up killing, like, their most annoying friend (laughs) 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 on a camping trip. I've actually Um, seen
0: that in a couple of uh, indie films recently. It was one Super Dark Times, I think. These kids, one of them accidentally kills another one with a samurai sword. But he was the annoying one.
2: Right. Right, right. And so, yeah, I was I started writing something like like that. Um, Yeah. So and I I started writing like a story about a, a husband whose wife is working and he he's making her dinner and he's slowly like feeding her her cat.
0: Oh, that is a great story. It
2: was a, it was a, it was a, you know, I thought it was funny, but like, you know, like, have you seen Whiskers? Nope. (laughs) He started like with just a leg. So all of a sudden Whiskers (laughs) didn't have a leg. Oh Oh. no.
0: So did the guy like start like keep losing more limbs and she's still oblivious?
2: I know. know. And like,
1: and like he wouldn't be afraid of the, like the husband, like,
2: I, I mean, yeah right you know, anyway, and then uh yeah yeah that was, <laughs> anyway, stories like that 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 for me that were kind of a, a jokey horror, I guess um, yeah,
1: can't
0: be
2: can't be
1: uh, let's see. any scary dreams or repeating dreams in your teenage years?
2: Uh, I started dreaming a lot about the Terminator when I was a teenager, like that there was this thing following me that you know, couldn't die. And that I couldn't escape, but I was constantly trying to outrun it.
1: Kind of ties in with the power, power stuff that we talked about.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: The stuff that we're talking about in your teenage years, I wouldn't even necessarily say it was horror specifically, other than, you know, the fact that there was some Stephen King in there. Um, Would you even classify yourself as a horror fan in your teenage years? Or would you say that that came later in the adult years?
2: No, that would be later. I would say um, me classifying myself as a horror fan would be the last like 15 years okay. um, where I would be like the last 15 years I've been, you know, into it and I would classify myself as a fan. Before that, I would say the things I liked were all kind of elite prep school where I had never been type stuff. (laughs) Like I liked, I I would say, I like Edith Wharton. I like J.D. Salinger. I like, you know, I like all these, these things that make me seem, you know, smart and (laughs) intelligent and all of those. Like I I didn't, I didn't identify with what I would consider kind of the lowbrow horror, genre because Are you one of those
0: a24 fans aren't you <laughs> i am
2: <laughs> i totally am
0: um also yes guilty it, as charged
2: yes guilty as charged i uh i had a, a fairly I, I think of it as like a self-protective like snobbery of like i need to be represent and think of myself in a certain way to um escape
0: <laughs> <laughs> to escape <laughs> Escape what?
2: I got to get out of here.
1: <laughs> Escape what? Uh,
2: I got to get a scholarship. Oh, wow. So that I mean that was really it. Like I had to get a scholarship. I had to get a scholarship. I had to get out. That was my that was my directive pretty much sophomore year on. Like I I needed to feel like I could do something else with my life mm. besides what I felt was before me.
1: Makes sense? Mhm.
2: And I thought the best way out was to like take advantage of, you know, how well I did in school and how, you know, you know, how well I did in school, all of the extracurriculars I did, things like that. So I was really working toward getting into a good college and making something of my life.
0: Mm. <laughs> As one does.
2: <laughs> which, <laughs> which, <yeah. laughs>
1: that laugh, uh, like, yeah, and look how successful I've been with that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the drawing uh, board. Uh, yeah. No, I, I can definitely relate. And I think most people can relate too. There's a lot of people who college is their chance at making something better for themselves. And not only for themselves, but maybe, you know, as a representative representative of their entire family. You know, there's a lot of people who are still to this day, you know, first person to go to college in a family.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I, I was the first person in my family to not go to mm. BYU. Um, that was, you know, and that was actually very difficult for me to, to do. I, I did have to get a scholarship and have mm. that paid for, for me to do that.
1: Adult um, years instead of, I think I'll approach this a little differently. Instead of asking about your biggest influences, you talked about how, um, you know, it was maybe only the last 15 years that you would start identifying as a horror fan. Let's talk about that. How did that happen? How did that come about?
2: I started it, I started finding um, myself interested in those. It started basically with noir. I really started falling in love with old noir stories, whereas I used to really kind of love more adventure things, things about adventure and... Um, I loved Twin Peaks, like Twin Peaks became like I loved the, that first season of that. And then I I started to, you know, look at stuff that is more horror, but horror and noir and those kind of like stories started to really attract me. And then from there, like that became especially that kind of art house horror became really, really interesting to me for the same reason that I think that like when I was really young, I really liked fairy tales. They started to speak to me of these really powerful metaphors. And as I became an adult, my sense of powerlessness felt like it increased exponentially. <laughs> like, well, maybe not exponentially. I, I felt as powerless as an adult as I did when I was a child. Like graduating from college and like um, I moved to Los Angeles immediately. And that being in Los Angeles,
0: I was just did not that, help. That,
2: yeah. I felt very much betrayed by everything idealistic in me. I, I felt like I felt like all of the idealism and everything that I'd been taught about, you know, what's good about the world was not true. It felt very much like I don't know how to to live in this world. Yeah, so I started to to get attracted to a lot of the noir stories and a lot of, of that and um, starting well,
1: with noir. I'm not sure say. if noir really meets modern life. So was it that you were... Saying, okay, I don't, I don't know how to live in the modern world. Let me explore this other world? Or,
2: No, no, no. I think noir definitely does. Because basically that what noir says is that, that you don't ever – you might try to fight for like what you feel is right or what you feel is the mystery or you try to solve it. But at the end of the day, you don't, you don't really change, but you understand that you're not going to change.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: understand that the world isn't going to change and you understand that you are not going to change. And so th- at the end of it, there's this kind of, uh, awakening. It's a, it's a story, it's an awakening story to living in the darkness.
0: Okay. With a dash of nihilism.
2: Right. A lot of <laughs> nihilism and that, that was, that was, um, yeah. So I started being attracted to those kind of like murder stories, mystery stories, and, uh, about that time I, I started to write my first scraps of what became haunt my first novel you know, sort of thinking about, I I kept imagining myself, I guess, like dead in a bathtub, (laughs) a lot of me imagining myself like dead in a bathtub or a person dead in a bathtub or, you know, death, you know, maybe it was that painting of the the death of Marat or is it Marat? Yeah. So, and then I, I started writing this like ghost story, I guess. And it scared me a lot. Like I thought I was like, this is really dark. And it scares me. And people don't know this about me. They don't know that I, people think I'm nice and they think I'm, (laughs) They think I'm nice and like sweet, but like, (laughs) I have a darkness in me, a real darkness.
1: So I do see some start of a connection there towards horror.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, you know, a ghost story. And uh, I wrote that, I wrote it in a lot of scraps uh, while I was working a, shitty customer service job and um hating my life yeah as one, does. As, one does. <laughs> as one does um, um and I, I was thinking. so like, how
1: how else did this um move you towards horror i mean you've got the one book you're talking about but what else happened
2: um so and then i i, I met john skip
1: <laughs> okay
2: ah. i met john skip at a at an audition
1: i can see how that could be very horrific <laughs>
2: I would say in a good that, way. <laughs> I, th- I would say that my 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 friendship with him and, and my uh you know I started to he 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 kind of opened up this understanding for me of what was modern horror besides Stephen King. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. so that was you know the genre in which he you know has has lived his life and through our friendship it really opened up a lot of works to me that I hadn't previously seen or understood. Like, um, so I mean, he likes a lot of like <laughs> this stupid <horror> <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> like just like kind of like what like, I can't even remember. Like it's like this movie, Demons, that he loves. <laughs> it's like where all these demons just come into a movie theater and just like eat people's heads, or I don't know. let let's, he loves, let's, like, like, let's he,
1: narrow he, it down to the things that you both enjoyed. How about that?
2: Well, I, I I learned to enjoy them. That's ah. the thing. And, like, there were things that I'd seen before, like, the Toxic Avenger. Like, I remember, mm-hmm. like, being, I was, I mean, so there were these, in retrospect, creepy college boys hitting on me and uh, another friend of mine when we were freshmen in high school. And they, like, took us to, into, like, the main dorm. <sighs> you know common area and they showed us movies like the toxic avenger and i was like gross
0: (laughs) but fun gross gross, you know (laughs) this
2: is gross i don't really like it but um my basically i just became more and more (laughs) desensitized (laughs) until now i'm like yeah cool (laughs) um so yeah it, it built my um i started to have an appreciation for all of these other weird kind of things that i hadn't seen before yeah so I would say my friendship with Skip was a, a very pivotal moment for me, really uh, discovering <laughs> how much I loved War.
1: Maybe helping you translate it, shall we say.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: setting that potentially aside, I mean, it, it, some of the stuff that you both looked at uh, might fall in here. But then in your adult years, what would you say if we were to say you pick your top 3 uh either fa- most favorite or most uh, impactful horror media what would you say
2: so right now i'll tell you like right now my favorite like get out is one of like my all time favorite horror movie uh it's and one of my all time favorite movies it's just incredible i love um, a girl walks alone at night i love the invitation i love mm-hmm. midsummer um i love the descent
0: mhm First and second.
2: I didn't see the second one. Just the first one.
0: Yeah, you're good. Just just keep it with. The first one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's the, stop. Good.
2: I, I think the descent is actually like I, I saw that movie before I met Skip, and that was like one of my big like I I loved that movie. Yeah, loved it's
0: it. another good example of uh, good tone and cinematography and just claustrophobia.
2: Well, and, and the thing that I the thing that 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 killed me about it that I saw like, I just, I loved the relationships between the women and, Mm -hmm. and this belunking. And then all of a sudden they're trapped. Right. But the scariest thing is that before we even see the monsters, like, like it's, it's terrifying before the monsters even show up. It's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's an incredible, and, and already the horror between them in their relationship oh yeah it's and they a, don't
0: shove it down your throat either like no, you you just no, know that given good. the angle of the pipe and where it went in the car and when it went out the car it's like, oh the child is dead too oh yeah. oh yeah. dear,
2: yeah 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 that's a, also
0: good. I didn't even catch it until like the fifth or sixth re-watching that that was the reason that Juno barely saw her when she visited that one time and that was the tension there it was a yeah it's a little bit of love triangle thing going on there that mm-hmm. I didn't even see it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's a good one, that
2: one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hang on a second, because yeah, we've we've already got five there. So let's go back oh, yeah, to okay. get out.
0: What, I think that's enough.
1: <laughs> uh what's what do you love about Get Out?
2: Oh wait, can I can I just say I just want to say one more. Sure. I just want to yeah. say one more. No. The Duke I love the Duke ah. and I want to uh talk about a little bit about her second movie, The Nightingale.
0: Ooh. That was a rough one.
2: Okay. That's that hard I, to get through. I, I just yeah, it's a
0: but good in the end. I mean, definitely a good revenge story. Nightingale was was great.
2: It's, it's a just war so movie. It's, it's based
0: a- on yeah. It's it's based on war times and real real facts. Which it,
2: it's 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 that dose. It's not really a horror movie to me because a horror movie gives you a little bit of distance in some way, mm-hmm. a little bit more epic. That's that to me was a true like war movie that that actually fucked me up for life. <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. that movie changed me. I so. I don't think I really understood colonialism before that. I don't think I really got it mm. physically. And and after seeing that, and I didn't it also made me want revenge so much. And and I actually don't think it is a revenge movie. She doesn't ever get really revenge. There's no yeah. real revenge. There's no getting back. There's no
0: Well, she she sings to him. This, <laughs> this revenge. <laughs> and so, yeah, I forgot about that. I think I actually changed the story in my mind. To, yeah, she gutted him. <laughs> no. no, like no. like halfway
2: through it, I I turned like my uh, Ezra was like, do you want to leave? And I was like, no, I have to. She, she has to. I kept I kept wanting revenge. I was like, there's got to be a revenge. But what the movie does, which is truly incredible, is that it. It reveals to you that there is no way to. There's no way to get back at someone for that. There's no reciprocity. There's no, this horrible, awful thing happened, and you can't undo it. There's no undoing it. There's no making it better. It's awful, and it's that that's what it is. But after that, there is still standing up for yourself, there is still expressing who you are, there is still saying, I am not this, I am that. And there is still that beautiful moment where she's made a connection and a relationship and you both watch the sunrise together. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's always the possibility of starting again, but not starting over. You can't start over. You can start again from where you are anyway. So, so, uh, she's a incredible director. I just love, 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 love her. work. But yeah. So I, I also just wanted to bring up the Babadook, um, mm-hmm.
0: What do you like about Babadook?
2: To me, the Babadook... um,
0: It's another metaphor movie, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a metaphor for grief. Mm -hmm. And that you can't... uh, How much it, it possesses you and takes you over. And if you deny it, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it destroys you.
1: I was thinking to myself, you know, through some of the stuff that we've talked about, I think I have a pretty good handle on what I would say is a summary for you. Um, and some of it was wrapped up in some of the things that you just said there. So rather than spill that at this particular moment, let's just jump to some of the wrap up questions and then, and then we'll talk about the summary these wrap up questions. They, they don't just cover horror. They can talk about any genre and it's not any particular time of your life. It can cover your entire life. And the key here is to see if something else pops up that we haven't talked about yet, or if it's just underlying things that you've already said. So it could go either way. The first two questions I'll ask at the same time, because they could be the same answer. They could be different answers depending, but the first two questions would be, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other?
2: So, uh, I asked my, (laughs) I I asked my partner this question last night because I I I listened to uh you know I listened to your podcast and I was like okay (laughs) Ezra "Ezra, did your homework Ezra what's my favorite movie and he said which way is the wind blowing (laughs) (laughs)
0: like what time of day is
2: it right because it changes it changes.
1: Perhaps second, I thought that was the name of the movie. I was about to start writing it down. I'm like,
2: oh, <laughs> it's shit. a great movie. Um, but uh then I then I tried to say it like, okay, like we're on the new Newlywed show. what 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 would you say? Like, so um so I guess I would say my favorite movie, which is I would also say the movie I've seen more than any other movie would be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Just because that movie I have a lifelong relationship with. You know, that was like the first movie that I saw that made me feel like life could be an adventure you Hmm. know okay and in the horror because there are so many because i mean everything like all of these things that we've just kind of talked about kind of come up like there's nazis (laughs) there's like bible shit happening wrath of god existential people's faces melt (laughs) yeah literally but in it all he's still indiana jones
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical?
2: I mean, I would say it's all kind of um, metaphysical and uh, social. Social metaphysical.
1: Mm-hmm. Get uh, out a good example of that. Yeah. Any idea why it is that you like those
2: things? Uh, I feel like the social is horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything scarier than a group of people. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty terrifying. Accurate and metaphysical, because ultimately, like the, the who who that in the hurricane, uh, as Job says to God, "Why?" That that is the answer. <laughs> who are you to ask why?
0: <laughs> right. Who is an ant to ask why? Should you crush me?
2: Right. Right. Hmm. Right.
0: So the next question
1: is why horror and for the society is horr- horrifying. I can think of other genres that could touch on that. Um,
2: but they can't, they can't in the same, they can touch on it. Right. Like even like, like, let's say Lord of the flies, right. That's not horror. Really. That's just more like a social drama maybe. Mm-hmm. Or would you say that's a horror? I would, would say it's social
0: thriller or suspense if anything, but not really horror. No, that's just right. drama. Okay.
2: Right. Right. It's more of a drama, but like it's, it's not fun. Right. Is it a fun book?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, not for me. (laughs) I had a blast.
2: So there's something about horror that I feel like allows you to access the same sort of message, but Mm -hmm. have a little bit more fun with it.
1: Hmm. Okay. So horror accesses drama plus humor
2: well yeah like so midsummer is a perfect example of this right it's you know this woman dealing with grief and at the same time a kind of take on like the wicker man or or whatever right but what it does is there's enough over the top horror elements of it that it gives you a sense of distance and and within that you can find a sense of like joy. <laughs> There's a sense of joy for me in that movie. Like it yeah.
0: allows the humor because it distances you so much because of the the jarring craziness that you see, yeah. I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Is there anything about uh that's relevant that we haven't discussed?
2: Relevant to
1: what it is my that you rel- love about horror, yeah.
2: yeah. My relevant to my relationship about why horror makes us happy. Yeah. I don't think that we've actually talked about how looking at this and addressing what is horrible makes us in a way more whole, healthy people.
1: Mm -hmm. I think you're kind of going in the direction of the summary that I was going to wrap up with. So maybe I'll just jump into that and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong or see if there's something else that you want to add to it. So looking back through the notes that I've been taking through the call, the things that have come up for me are power, relationships and politics, the fact that the world will not change. There is not necessarily a payoff standing up for yourself anyway, and starting again, not over. And really, if I were to boil that down even further, it's grief
0: and the response to grief.
2: Ooh, mm-hmm. I love it. That's Which good. Is, it's like, good. <laughs> <and> <laughs> That's really good. That,
0: that ties into like how we it's, it's good to watch horror because that allows us to have an outlet for grief. Maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, specifically for her, I mean, the things that she yeah, yeah. has been raised in, and there's a lot of different elements of her past that tie into a lot of those different elements that I just talked about. And one of the other interviews that I've watched that I really liked was author Robert Bly. And I, I know i shared this with Chris. Um, there's there's a moment in this interview where Robert Bly says, um, he talks about desire and a lot of relationships not just marital relationships, but even just interpersonal relationships, like with your, with your own self, a lot of people get to a point where they realize that they're not going to ever get the thing that they truly desire out of life. And the proper response to that is grief. And I like what he says here. He says, grief, not blame grief. And, and then how do you, of course, the answer is, how do you respond to that? And there is a process for dealing with grief and that's, you know, counseling and 12-step stuff. And you know, there are answers to that.
0: You but, don't just absorb it and keep it inside forever until you burst?
1: I mean, <laughs> that's I that is mine, also but... an option. <laughs> you, there, there's also unresolved uh, emotion.
0: <laughs> I'm going to start fires someday. Fires. Plural.
1: So, you know, that that's that's I think the summary for me now. Like I guess if you'd like to add something to that,
0: feel free. Did
2: did you all see the movie Apocalypto?
0: Yes. There's a Mel Gibson film about uh it's kind of like a historical almost. about I think it's like an
2: Aztec uh, culture. Yeah. Mayan culture. But what about um it? it's incredible it's incredibly violent. Yeah. You see a lot of people getting their heads chopped off and rolling down, you know, like... That's why
0: their temples have the steps. That's why they build them that way. So, you know, for fun, bounce.
2: I watched that movie, I think, a year and a half ago um, after something had triggered me very, very strongly. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel so much better. (laughs) (laughs) It made me feel so, so much better because it had this element of (laughs) civilization's end. Mm. Things... Mm. Things come to their own you know end and you don't even know exactly where the end is coming from but there was a sense of hope for me in like that feeling of what will what will be next what, hmm. what could be next and, and like, the,
0: yeah there's the dread and grief of the fact that this current iteration of life that we're in will end but you're you're right. You can just turn that around and say, "Well, it's also hope and uh, just a, an overall good feeling that something else will begin."
2: Yeah, and even though you don't know, you don't know what that is, right? Like, and it's the same thing as like that existential like void, right? You 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 may die, and your individual consciousness will be over, and you will have no sense of who you are or what you are or that you ever were, but you actually don't know what you are or what you ever were, so
0: nothing matters nihilism
2: wins (laughs) (laughs) or or it matters a lot but you it's Uh, all it's all this you know you know cosmic thing this cosmic drama that we are in that we don't necessarily we don't know what the ending of it is we just are playing it
1: to go back to campbell Campbell, Campbell, which I often do whenever Chris brings up the nihilism quote of, you know, <laughs> um, Campbell's response to Bill Moyer's bringing up nihilism is he said, but is that, is that necessarily their response? You know, why don't you could just as easily say, I will pick up this gun and go to war. I will fight the fight. You know, I, I will make the struggle, you know, it's, there's still something to be gained in, in doing that you know, I mean, like that's a personal choice. You could decide, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to check out goodbye. But you don't, that's not, that's not necessarily the only choice to be made.
2: Right. And then one could argue that like, you know, just the fact that, that we're here, that we are incarnated beings having a human experience is, uh, on a, on its face, this like, you know, using a, uh, a theater cosmology like we have this role <laughs> <laughs> we're here right? we don't know what it is exactly but you know we can improvise until tell the curtains close
0: yes the beginning of the play the end of the play the fact that the play exists at all doesn't matter you have a role and you have a character so you have that
2: you have given circumstances <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you, you, you you know <laughs> Who's writing it? I don't know. Mm. Who's directing it? We really don't know. Do we trust the director? I don't know. <laughs> but, mm. but you do have a role. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And as I said, you know, and some people can choose to throw it away if they if that's their choice. But you don't have to. That's not the, yeah. not the only necessary choice. Well, thank you very much for your time. It was a good call. i yes. enjoyed this.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for the uh, that that was a really nice summary. It it gives me a uh, I actually would not have picked grief as the um, what would you have picked? I don't know. i guess i I guess I would have picked I would have picked something about um mysticism or or understanding existence or, you know, something uh, that's what my mind would have gone to, is something like existential, like what's the purpose? What's the meaning? but but truly, it actually, well like you really have done a so, therapist's job here of helping me find grief. Well, because I'm like, oh, hang on. That I, is true.
1: Well hang on, because I said two things. I said grief and the response to grief. And what you're right, talking right. about, I think, is your response to grief.
2: Yeah. But I think one of the my habits is I skip over in my own conscious <laughs> as I look at things the the thing that triggered that, you know, that, that mm. grief that you just talked about is a really important thing to look at.
0: It
1: can be, but it's also important not to dwell on it either. Um, so there's yeah. definitely a balance between the two, you know, and each person. But I think that person... that's what
2: keeps me with horror, you know? I think that, that it is that grief that t- attracts me to horror.
1: Well, as we kind of said earlier about the a- adventure, you can't have adventure without danger. How do you how do you have a response to grief if you didn't have the grief in the first place?
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. You have it gives you the grief.
1: chance to talk about how you respond. Yeah. Awesome. You know, I just realized as I was about to hit the closing here, we, uh, we forgot to give you a spot at the beginning to uh, talk about whatever it is that you're currently working on.
2: Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> 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 mm. hmm. My plug would be, you know, just to go to my website. Cause I have, I have some things coming up that I'm, you know, still, um, that are still a little up in the air. So those will those will be announced on my site at com.
1: We'll create a bio and put that in the bio.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, so I would so my website and um I'm part of this cool anthology that's going to come out that's a um gives a it's a bunch of writers it's called Koalas and Smoke and it's um it's raising money for the Australian animals that were um needing re- rehabilitation in the Australian wildfires. It's a, I'm really really happy to be part of it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: But um, yeah, so that's that's something that I have coming out. There, there'll there be more things um, that I'll talk about later. Um, right now, what I'm really working on is, I guess, just go to my website. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, 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 all, it'll all come out. And then to plug, like, yes, my books are, you know, anybody who wants to read my stuff, it's on Bookshop. That's where I recommend getting it. I mean, you can get it on Amazon and stuff like that. But Bookshop's a nonprofit and they do awesome work. And uh, you can watch Boned. on many streaming platforms and if you're willing to watch commercials i believe you can watch it on tubi for free yeah yeah
1: (laughs) well thank you again for your time it's been a pleasure
2: it's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Also, thank you to anybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at Uh We will put together a bio page for um, Laura and link to her site over there. Uh, we've also got links to our social media pages. You can come say hello let us know how we're doing. Um, links to merch and Patreon and all kinds of stuff like that. So if you want to support, please do. And thank you very much. Merch!